Now, you can be opening your Bibles to page 1205 if you're using the Bible there in the pew, or First uh, Peter chapter 3 if you're not. Last week, uh, we, we talked about the wives, and uh, they get a lot of attention in this passage. Um, they uh, get six whole verses. Guys get one, but there's a lot in that one verse. And uh, within what he says to man gives you a little reason why there's so much for women because they were very unprotected in that day. And, and Peter is pointing out the protection uh, for them uh, that they need and that their husband is to play that role. And so today we come to the husbands and we're going to look at that in just that one verse, verse 7. So if you would just listen attentively with me for just a second. Here, I'm going to read it out loud. Likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Would you join me in prayer as we go into this? Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name for your wonderful word. We pray now that you would open our eyes and our hearts, our minds, that we can receive your word that is rich and wants to take seed and grow in our life. Lord, show us what we are to do based on your word. Give us that grace. I pray that you would uh, just be in control of my tongue, my mouth. Lord, uh, just may I say the things you want me to say, not say the things you don't want me to say. Lord, uh, but open us up to understand what your word says. We right now in Jesus' name ask for your protection. We ask you to rebuke the devourer, rebuke our enemy for us. And that, Lord, uh, you would be our protection and our shield. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, this is about dads, uh, but it's really about husbands uh, here in this, this part of Peter. And, and I'll just go ahead and give you a statement I want you to think about and take home with you. Any relationship worth having takes time and emotional investment. Now, men aren't real good at emotional investment. We, we think that we're unemotional, but that is, nothing could be further from the truth. We're very emotional. We just, we just hold it in. And, uh, you know, I, I, my, my physical ancestry comes from some Celtic people. And uh, my son, obviously, being my son, uh, he kind of caught on to that because they kind of don't want to show much emotion as a group. And uh, one day he just said, I'm a Celt. We take all our feelings and we put them right here. Then we die. <laughs> so, uh, like, you got it, buddy. That's exactly what we do. And, and so, we hear a lot, even in, in non-church world, the church world, we, we hear a lot of things going on. And in fact, if you're paying attention at all, uh, it seems like manhood or men are being attacked because... Also, women are being attacked, though, in, in our society and in the world. Why do you think that is? Because God made us to be image bearers of him. Amen? Okay. Just making sure. It's big Latin words, imago Dei. But it means in the image of God. God made us in his image. And we are to be reflectors of that image. We are to reflect the glory of God. Now, what did Satan want to do for himself? He wanted to absorb the glory of God, right? Isaiah said he wanted to lift himself up above the throne of heaven. He wanted to be higher than God. Isn't that what he said to Eve? 
Oh, he doesn't want you to eat it because he knows if you eat it, you're going to be like him, knowing good from evil. And so Satan tempts Eve with that. She is not responsible as Adam was. Adam was the representative of our race. And when he did it willfully, she did it under, uh, she'd been fooled. But when Adam did it, he knew what he was doing. And so sin passed upon all men. Okay, that's just good theology. Just making sure y'all still with me. Okay. And so we call that the fall of man, where men fell. And men and women, mankind, we've had a broken image since then. And really, we, we've had a broken humanity. We are still called to be the reflectors of God's glory, to be made in his image and to reflect his glory back to him. And God made male and female, Adam and Eve, and it says those two can become one flesh in him. And for this cause, a man leaves his mother and father and cleaves to his wife, right? That's what the Bible says. Y'all still with me? Amen. And, and let me just help you with some common terms in Genesis. I'm quoting Genesis. We're not turning there. But it says, God said, we need to make a helper fit for him. That's what the literal words mean. And it, it means that, it actually means to stand in front of like a mirror that man is reflecting the glory of God and the woman is also an image bearer and together they are intensifying that image of God and reflecting it back. You say, that's a little extreme. Well, just think about it for a second. We, we worship a triune God, three in one, one in three, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So close that, that they are one in word, thought, deed, essence, purpose, all of that. They've taken on particular roles within the Trinity. Uh, the Father is the commander, if you want to use that word. The Son is the one who had came and put on flesh to die for our sins. But the Holy Spirit is the completer. The Bible says in Genesis that the Spirit moved on the face of the waters. And as God spoke what he wanted, the Spirit made it happen in Jesus' life. The Spirit was there at conception. The Spirit was there at the birth. The Spirit was there in his life when they tried to kill him. The Spirit showed up at his baptism. The Spirit was there as he did miracles because he didn't do it as God. He did it as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Hebrews, when he offered himself, he, by the Spirit, offered himself on the cross. And the Spirit raised him from the dead. Romans 8, if the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, you belong to him. You got it? Husband and wife. Two, but the two shall be one flesh. It's supposed to be so close. It looks like one. Same purpose. Same life goals. We are to come together and reflect, the God's, reflect God's glory together as a unit. And that's why God wants us to be married. He wants us to be married for a lifetime. And that's the biblical norm. Does everybody say amen? Now I know, but... Our enemy doesn't like that. So he wants to destroy that perfect uh, image God created. It was already destroyed at the fall, but he wants to really mess it up. And you cannot get around a man and a woman. Because there ain't a whole lot of other choices. I know that's bad English. That's real good theology. What are you going to be? If you're a man and you don't like it, what are you going to be? Well, they keep trying to say you can be anything you want. But you can't, because you can't change your DNA, right? So every sin, no matter what sin, the realm that sin is in, we're talking about men and women, but whatever realm that sin is in is designed by our enemy to destroy the image of God in man. 
Okay? You following me? So it takes Jesus' redemptive work on the cross and in our lives to bring us back into the image he wants us to be in. So that's why the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he's a brand new creation. The old, what we were in Adam, has died all things become new. And Paul writes, and so I am being changed from glory to glory into the image of. Thank you. The image of. Say it real loud. The image of. Amen. We're being changed into the image of Christ, right? Well, what God has given as a picture of Jesus and the church is found in a husband and wife as well. Jesus is the husband, the church not just this building of people, but all of people that know Christ as Lord and Savior and follow him are part of that church. We are the bride of Christ, the Bible says, right? And when a couple gets married and they're healthy and normal, usually they have children. And if we're the bride, we're supposed to be bearing babes in Christ for God. Seeing people come to salvation. I'm not saying... You get saved through the church, but I'm saying the church is the vehicle in which the gospel rides, and the church is to take the gospel to the whole world, right? Man, you didn't know you were going to get missiology, theology, theology proper. You get a whole bunch of stuff today for free. We don't charge extra for this, by the way. We just lay it out there, so you pick up what you need. So in this text, he's specifically addressing the husbands, and in a, in a very sharp equality, economy of words he is telling us a whole lot so I want you to see first this connection last week if you were here and you remember it starts off with likewise and it's talking about the wives and and in that first six verses it looks like the wives are suffering somewhat and and when we look at it closely we see it specifically addressed to women whose husbands don't obey the law of God or the law of Christ to love one another and all that so he gives them a strategy for winning their husbands by her being a great Christian. And when he sees that example, then he may want to follow. But that is the responsibility. Here it says likewise again. So it's not saying the same as the husband. And it doesn't even say if the husband's suffering or not, does it? You know, sometimes a, a man will come in and complain about his wife. Anybody know that? Okay. I had a very wise man tell me one time that when he was counseling a married couple and the husband would be complaining about his wife and she's this and that and doesn't do this and that and da 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 He just said, I just let him talk till he's done and then go, man, what kind of husband has she had to turn her into a woman like that? <laughs> Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Ooh, that hurts. You see, we're not really suffering in marriage. This has been these different groups suffering. The woman, the man isn't supposed to suffer. Man, I, this guy was leaving his wife one time, and I went to see him. And I said, what I just told you, I used that on him. He could have beat me every which way from Sunday, but he didn't, thank God. But it was his responsibility, and all he wanted to do is blame her. You see, we're supposed to carry the load, guys. We're supposed to shoulder the responsibility of our, of our household. 
In fact, that's what the wedding vows are about. The same wedding vows we find in Exodus are still true. We are to provide for our wives. And what are we to provide? Well, what takes to live, but we're supposed to provide. I'm going to use, last week I cussed using the S word, submit. Today I'm going to cuss using the E word, emotion. We are to give them a basis of trust so that they can be emotional and that we can understand that. They don't, they don't need us to give them an answer. In fact, I saw a satirical headline from a satirical group this week that said, husband made the grave mistake of solving his wife's problem. Um, they, they're not telling you because they want you to fix it. They're telling you that because they want you to hear it. They want you to understand it. They want you to feel with them. And sometimes we don't feel too well. So you got to pray, God, deliver me from numbness when it comes to my wife. Help me to understand. And boy, it's easy not to do that. And so we are connected together as husband and wife. The two are one. And no matter where you are now, the Bible says, hey, if, if you're in a marriage now, stay in it. And, and God will bless your marriage. And then... There's a courting that should go on. Look at this in verse 7. Live your wives in an understanding way. And, and what, are we, what are we doing? It says showing honor to the woman. That word honor is the little word. It's, it's, it's the name. Uh, it's Timmy. T-I-M-E actually. It looks like time. But it means honor. When you name your child Timothy... You're naming him, he who honors God. Theos is God. Timotheos is the name Timothy. We have First and Second Timothy in the Bible. And that's, that's why he's named that. He who honors God. And the Bible sounds to honor the wife. When we look at that word, it means to give supreme glory to. To give supreme love to. In other words, he's telling us, love your wife like you love Christ and like Christ loves you. Guys, that's what we are called to do. In an understanding way, we are to honor them. And we're, you're never going to understand the mind of a woman because you don't have one of those. You got the mind of a man. Ladies, you never, go, well, you probably will because y'all smarter than us. You're going to understand the mind of your husband. You don't like it. You think it's stupid, but you're going to understand it, right? You know, nowhere in this passage does it say one is inferior to the other. Nowhere in these passages does it say that one is, is smarter or better. It just, as God created us, it's kind of funny. He gave the responsibility, the roles after the fall to the men and women in the areas they were the weakest by nature so that you'd have to depend on God to get along. That's just a fact, y'all. I mean, it, it is a pure fact. In fact, in the Old Testament, when a man got married, he was absolved from having to work for a year so he could stay home and cheer up his wife. Now, they had, they had, that's what it says. You can look it up. But remember, they didn't do it like we do it. They didn't date for 10 years and then get married. They got married at first sight almost, right? So they had some learning to do. Janice and I met in May and married in December. And the first year was horrible. And, and you say, is she here? Yeah, she's right there. <laughs> and I'm quoting her. I'm not quoting me. I'm quoting her. It was great for me. She said it was hard. No. It was tough. Why? Because we didn't know each other very well. We had not learned each other. 
So in the Old Testament, son, you're going to marry her. And she's going, I got to marry him, that hairy beast? Yeah, that's who you're marrying. So no wonder they had to take a year off just so they could know each other. But I believe that's a great principle. Uh, in, in another place and another time, I had a young man. He and his wife were struggling. He came to see, his, came to see me. And, and his issue was he was very athletic, very strong guy. And, uh, and, and he loved to play softball. And he was on like three or four big teams. I mean, he was really good at it. Everybody wanted him on their team, so he joined them all. And he was gone at least five nights a week playing softball. And I said, dude, you got to give that up. He said, I'm not going to give it up. I said, are you telling me you'd rather play softball than be at home with your wife? He said, yep, in front of her. I went, then I got no help for you because you're being disobedient to God. Well, later, guess what? He got obedient to God. That was glorious. I loved that. And he grew in Christ, and they had children, all that. It's a wonderful marriage. But like I told you, he was really big. He, he, he literally punched a horse to the ground. The horse was bucked in his brother, so he punched it and knocked it down. That's how big and strong he was. So when I do a revival, he'd sit right there for me. <laughs> I was like, I got him there. That's awesome. I love that guy. But listen, we need to take some time for our wives, right? Now, you know, you can have an understanding. I'm, she, she ought to understand you. We, we all have things we need to do and want to do. But the Bible says here we need to honor her in an understanding way as the weaker vessel. Now, women are going to bristle at that a little bit, I would suspect. If you told me I was weaker, I would bristle too, but you'd probably be right, but I'd still bristle. So I studied and studied on that. And it's not saying she's weaker mentally. It's not saying she's weaker spiritually. It's not saying any of those things. It's just saying the obvious fact in general, a man is stronger than a woman. And you ought to protect her in that. That she is not built to take the stresses of life in the same way men are. We're not built to take the stresses she's under in the same way she is. God's given her certain strengths that we don't have. God's given us certain strengths. And the best theologians that I could read said, he's just saying they're physically a little bit weaker. And in a time, you think, it, you think there's a lot of attacks on women today. In that time, women were treated as if not human. And he's telling you men, you better protect your wife. You better honor her. You better say, that's my wife. Don't mess with her. You leave her alone. Abraham failed in that. Isaac failed in that. Yeah. And he's telling us to honor her as someone who needs their husband to be there for her. And that's what we're called to do. But then notice the word since. He's telling us to do it. He says because. And here's where he shows the equality of men and women. By the way, the world talks about women being equal. You can't be equal because you do, can do things we can't do. We can do things you can't do. We'll never be equal in the sense of what we do. We are equal in standing before God. And he says, because they are heirs with you of the grace of life. If you're a husband and wife together, that word, heirs together, they... Many different translations do it different ways, trying to get at it. In other words, it's hard to quite get to it. But what it's saying is, you're co-heirs. You're heirs together. You 
share equally in being an heir of the grace of God. Husband, you didn't get more grace than her. She probably needs more grace to live with you. He's saying you are together in the grace of God. Why would you abuse or make fun of or downtrodden or speak evil of or talk about someone that you are called to protect? You are called to nurture. You are called to love so that she is free to be all that God made her to be. You you see, we're companions. We've gone from courting to companionship. We are co-heirs of the grace of life. Y'all know what's happening in the end, right? I've got this disease, and it's going to kill me. It's called humanity. I'm going to die one day. My wife's going to die. And we're going to get to heaven, and there's not going to be a court for the women and a court for the men. We all are going to stand side by side in the presence of God. We are co-heirs. I don't get more. She don't get more. We're together. And if God has given us this grace to bring us together in a Christian marriage especially, then I've got a huge responsibility to take care of her. And what happens if you don't? Your prayers are hindered. He said, God, God says to the men, guys... If you don't love and nurture your wife, like I just told you, I ain't listening to you. I mean, I've run into those guys that are aggressive and mean and all that stuff with their wives. God hadn't heard a word you said to him in prayer. It hinders your prayers. You say, well, I thought God had to listen to me. Not if you're disobeying him, why would he? If you think that's extreme, I'm not going to go there because it's on a whole different topic. But look down at verse, well, look at verse 11. Let him, this man who's sinning in verse 10, turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous And his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And if you're disobeying God and take care of your wife, you're doing evil. And God's ears are shut. He hears the prayers of the righteous. And by the way, how do you get righteous? Don't answer out loud, I'll tell you. You get righteous by getting the righteousness of Christ given to you. You will never be righteous. You will never go to church enough, pray enough, give enough, serve enough, love enough to be righteous before God. It has to be a gift from God. God gives you, Jesus gives you his righteousness. He changes places. Years ago, I wrote, I wrote a track and I called it uh, Who's Who? And it's based on a, a, on a fairy tale story. I, not many people that I've met have heard this story, but I, I imagine many of you have in here. And it's a story entitled The Prince and the Pauper. And there was this kid who was just dirt poor. And this other kid, same age, was a prince. And one day they met somehow. And they discovered they looked like identical twins. So they switched positions. 
And the pauper became the prince, and the prince became the pauper. And they just lived that way to live in each other's world. That's what happened at salvation. I was a sinner needing hell and the judgment and the wrath of God. Jesus came along and died for my sins on a cross to beat to defeat his enemy, Satan, and win that war. And as a result of winning that war, he could save me by his grace, give us the Holy Spirit. And he said, I'll take your sin on me, and you can take my righteousness, and I'll charge it, I'll charge your sin to my account, and I will pay for that on the cross. So that now we get to be the prince, and he looked like a pauper. Does that make sense? Do you understand me? Do this. Okay, good. So if we're that way, if we are to look like Christ, how does Christ treat the church? Does he berate it? Does he yell at us? Does he complain over the, I would say the smallest things we do because men do that. But you can do some really big bad things and if you repent, he will come in and help you, won't he? Well, that's what we're supposed to do. And then when we don't do it, God's not listening. Guys, we got a huge responsibility. Because we're co-heirs of the grace of life. We will stand before God. And one of us isn't more saved than the other. We are saved equally. And God put us together... So we could serve God better together than we could individually apart from one another. That's what marriage is for. So that the two of you can serve God in a greater way than you could go in your own way. That, that, I ask young couples all the time why they're going to get married. And they always say, oh, I love him. She completes me. All that silly drivel. The reason you get married is God wants you two to serve him better together than you could by yourself. Because the chief duty of man is to love God and obey him and serve him with your life. That's what it says in Ecclesiastes. That's in a catechism. What's the chief duty of man? To know God and enjoy him forever. And our, our job is to serve him. Our job is to give him glory. And, and we do that better together. And it, you say, well, that's not why we got married. Well, make it why you got married. I don't care. You've been married 50 years. You can today say, you know what? We need to glorify God together. And guys, we need to look into our hearts and our lives and repent where we have not done what he commands us to do here. It's just one, one verse. But he told the women, you don't have the social power to do what your husband can do. So the best way you can preach Christ to him is do what Jesus did, become a servant and the Bible tells us in Philippians that being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became a servant to everyone, even to the point of dying on a cross for the church. And in Ephesians, Peter, I mean, Paul tells us in Ephesians, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He loved it and gave himself for it. He died in the place of all of us who were sinners so that we could be together in the church. And when he prayed, he said, Father, I pray not because you didn't hear me because you always hear me. 
I prayed so they could hear me and know that you're God. Talk about an unhindered prayer. Jesus was suffering and dying for us. So his prayers were unhindered. Men are called to be that man. Men are called to stand in the gap for their wife in this world, this life. We're partners together. We, we, we have to be one in, together in what we do. And that takes a lot. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of attention. And you can't be too busy and do that. Busyness will distract from that, obviously. So what can you do this week? Well, here's the, here's the most scary thing I've ever said in my life. Ask your wife how you're doing as a husband. And don't get mad at what she says. <laughs> Make sure she knows that she is safe to say, well, baby. You can tell when Jansen and I are upset because we'll go, now, honey. <laughs> right? Just ask her. You might be shocked. You might have thought you were doing okay. Maybe she's got a different idea about that. Secondly, why don't you plan a date night next two weeks? Memorial Day's next weekend. Just plan something. Do it together. And if you're not enjoying your relationship with your wife, it's your responsibility to make it better, not hers. That's up to you. You say, man, you're mean to us. Yeah, because we're men. I can't be mean to the ladies. But I'm going to be mean to me and you. Because, you know, in the, in the morning, just wake up and do this in the mirror to yourself. It's you, boy. <laughs> Straighten up. Right? We need that every day, guys. I, I don't know about you, but I need that. I need, I need Lord to really get on me hard and get on myself hard. I, I, I'm not trying to bring us down. Because, listen, we, we see a lot of, of broken marriages we see a lot of it here. see a lot of it in this, this city, this place. We see a lot of perversion in this city. Our enemy is very active trying to destroy what God intended. And we as the church have to be right to show right to the world. If we're the bride of Christ, it's our job to submit to him, right? And we're all the bride of Christ. I don't care if you're a woman or a man in here. Guys, this is kind of, you know, it could get weird if you, you could make jokes about it, but we're part of the bride of Christ. We're to respond to him because he is our leader. And so it's a metaphor, it's a picture. But we, we he's doing that so that men will know how to do their role and we can understand our marriages better as well. And so we are called to obey Christ and to serve him holy and we do that by serving our family somebody else said but I've quoted it often the best thing a man can do for his children is love their mother when when it comes to Father's Day I I saw a bunch of statistics about fathers and the fatherlessness of our nation I challenge you to look that up it went from about three percent before World War II to now it's over 40% of children are born without a dad in the home. You want to know why our country is ripping apart? 
I just told you. It's not immigration. It's not drugs. It's not all the other things. All of those are the symptoms of the disease. And the disease is lack of men. And so when we tell the truth of this answer, somebody wants to yell, toxic masculinity. <laughs> no, it's curing. It's salving. It's saving masculinity. And when we are truly masculine, we love our wives and we're vulnerable and we are helpful and hopeful and protective. We're not mean and authoritative and dictatorish. We serve like Christ served. He had authority. He didn't have to claim it. Read the first few verses in chapter 13 of John about who he was and where he was going and what he was going to get when he got there. And then he washed their feet. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name for your great love with which you loved us so that we could know you, the author of our salvation, the, the finisher of our salvation. You are, you are our Lord. And we as men need to see just that true masculinity, God. That the, the men, we need to see, God. We need help in knowing who you are and how we're called to respond to you. And that we are to live with our wives in the same way. Help us, Lord, to do that. Because we can't do it on our own. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed, like last week. To give, to give an invitation where you could respond publicly might not work so well in this, in this type of sermon. But it might be exactly what you need. But I want to challenge you to be open to God, to let him speak into your heart what it is that you need to do differently. To obey his command here, to love your wife, to honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Understanding that she has a different need than you do, and you are to meet that need for her. Lord, I just pray that you would move in our hearts to love you. In Jesus' name.